all those fears came in. I remember going out to the living room um, at like 3 a.m. and just laying there on my face, praying, just saying, God, did I just make the biggest mistake in my life? And in that moment, just for some reason, just had a sense of peace. It's just, no, you got this. You got this. Don't worry about it. But once we started to see that this pathway was bearing a lot more fruit, then there was no looking back. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm going to share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're going to show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so I'm super excited to be here today with uh, my good friend and colleague, Shane Heilman. Shane is an independent artist, producer, songwriter, vocalist, guitarist from Madison, South Dakota. And he uh, operates under the name The Psalms Project. Uh, he's worked with over 70 musicians, including two Grammy nominees. He's sold thousands of albums worldwide and millions of streams. He personally is passionate about mentorship, fatherhood, coaching, and his wife, Emily. And now I'm so grateful and proud to have Shane on our modern musician team, helping to coach and help mentor other artists to be able to find and live out their purpose. Shane, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Michael. This is going to be fun. Awesome. So maybe to kick things off, could you share a little bit about yourself and your personal journey, being very careful to avoid telling anyone about the deep, dark secret of mine and the process? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'm a South Dakotan, born and raised. Uh, I was, yeah, I was uh, born in Sioux Falls, South Dakota and raised on the east side of South Dakota most of my life. And Always was into music, um, always. I was in, really raised in a musician family. My grandfather, actually, he played guitar at his 100th birthday party, which is really hardcore. Actually, his guitar is behind me. I'm not sure if you can see it. If I go this way, you can see that. Oh, you can see this beautiful red Gibson on the wall there. That's my grandfather's guitar. He passed um, a couple of years ago. But it was always in my family. People are always playing at holidays. The family would get around, and my cousin Chad would play the oboe, and my mom would play the piano, and grandpa would play the guitar. So it was always around. And so, yeah, I always knew that I'd be a musician to some degree, and here I am. So. <laughs> Awesome. And I noticed you, you got your gold artist award in the background there too. I love that. I would love to, to zoom back towards the beginning of when you're getting started with your music, when you started considering doing it professionally, like what, what do you say? Because a lot of us, especially as it relates to music, I think music is a big dream or it seems like a far-fetched thing. And sometimes not everyone is fully supportive and sometimes it's easy to have self-doubt about it. So I, I'm curious about you when you're starting out and what, when was like the moment that you really decided this wasn't just something that was going to be a hobby for you, but it's actually something that you were more serious about. Yeah, I'd say it started around high school. For some reason, around high school, I got this compulsion that, okay, it's time. I've got to learn how to play guitar. I've got to learn how to play this thing. I was really inspired by 90s alt-rock music. Where's my 90s alt-rock music fans out there? I, I learned guitar playing guitar books from bands like Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, all those 90s bands. And really got into it about then. Started a band uh, about that time too with some friends of mine. And actually the first song I wrote, which is really wild, it became like a mini hit locally around the area with my bands. We had some success right away. Was, so our life for a while was 
that movie, that thing you do. We had this song and everybody yes, yes, knew yes, it. Yes, it was yes. singing it and we were traveling around in a bus. And I think it was that time with the band. We were young, 19 years old. I know you can relate to this with your journey with Paradise Fears. We never got as big or as influential as Paradise Fears. But that was a moment where I really knew this is what I wanted to do. I just knew like this was, this was it. This is my calling. This is what I'm supposed to do with my life. When we had this young band, we were traveling around, had fans. We're making money, we're playing shows, people are singing our songs back to us. And it was just like local tour, Midwest kind of stuff and a cheap van, but I was just hooked. I was like, this is what I wanna create. I wanna do this for a living. That's really where my musical journey started was in that band. But eventually the lead singer and I decided we're gonna go big time with this. We're gonna move to Nashville. And the rest of the band didn't wanna come though. So that was when our band first broke up. And so lead singer and I moved to Nashville, just him and me in 1999. So I was 20 years old. I dropped out of college, packed up all my stuff in my car, said goodbye to my mom and drove down to Nashville with my buddy to, and we're going to make it in Nashville. And the band broke up again in Nashville a few years later. The lead singer and I just philosophically, musically just went in different directions. So I was left wondering what was next. I mean, I had this wild three-year adventure, playing music, being in a band, going to Nashville, playing at Nashville gigs, things like that, showcases. And it all ended, I ended up nowhere. And I was, what's next for me? And that's when I decided to, to move back to South Dakota. That was when I was going to marry my wife. I met my wife and I said, you know what? It'd be good to be back in South Dakota because then I can marry her and start over, really. And so I always knew though that music was what I was supposed to do. Like I said, I just never gave up, even though I really had nothing going for me. Everything I had built up was with the band and it was gone. So I started to write on my own, started to learn how to sing and started over essentially. And that's when I got the idea to, to do the Psalms Project, which is the musical iteration, the musical idea that really rebooted, launched my career. And that's where I am now. Hmm. So awesome. Maybe you could share really quickly the Psalms Project. It's such a great idea. And, and I'd love for you to hear you talk a little bit about how that, the genesis of that idea and what that's really done for you. Yeah, the idea really came to me just out of nowhere. I was actually on a mission trip at the Rosebud Indian Reservation in White River, South Dakota. And we were building some buildings there for a church there. And I just had this idea all of a sudden, wouldn't it be cool if somebody, I was reading a Psalm at the time, I think, Psalm 1. Uh, if people don't know what the Psalms are, they're in the Bible. It's the longest book of the Bible. It's 150 poems, basically. And they actually used to be songs. Literally, they're, they're songs. We just don't know what they originally sounded like. So they're ancient Hebrew poems. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be a cool musical idea experiment to put these poems to modern music, fully produced music, great vocalists, awesome instrumentation, and just go through the poem like beginning to end. Don't edit anything, don't censor anything, but just tell the entire story of the entire song. Go through all the emotions and support that with music so people really get it, really understand it, also in a modern context. I thought, well, that sounds really cool. So I started working on it that day and I liked the song and I liked how it really broke me out of the songwriter rut. Like you got to have a verse, then a pre-chorus, then a chorus. It got me out of that because a lot of the songs that I was writing, there was like no chorus, right? It was just like, I, I was just letting the lyrics take me and let the music, let the lyrics take the music where it was going to go. Okay, sing about this now. I guess that's the next part of the song. So how's this going to sound? And it really got me out of that songwriter rut. I was really being like the most creative I'd ever been with music before. And the songs, you know, a lot of them at the beginning, especially like they weren't catchy. They definitely weren't radio. I mean, some of them are seven, eight, 10 minutes long, but 
they were they I, I really liked them and they were fun and you just didn't know what was going to happen next that's what i liked about it but you'd be singing about this part then it would switch to a entirely different section it was there been movements like classical music too but it had some alt pop elements and so i was just like this is a blast i'm just having a blast with this it was really fun so that's how it all got started <laughs> super cool yeah thank, thanks for sharing that yeah i think the thing that hopefully all of us can you know, take away from that is inspiration just how it won get an idea for something unique it was like you could have just written done the exact same thing as thousands or tens of thousands of other people but you actually you had this idea to to do something unique and to, you know, that familiar plus unique formula that we talk about sometimes like the the viral formula taking this idea something that people are familiar with and be able to create something unique around it and add your own flavor and make it modern again so much wisdom in that and just a cool thing to be able to share and express with people to take this and to reimagine this in a different way so let's fast forward a little bit to Maybe you could talk a little bit about when you discovered Modern Musician, you came into our community, like how long ago was that now? And why did you, why did you join us for, for the first time? Yeah, man, that was a wild ride. So anyway, let me go back to like the eight years I was making this Psalms Project music before I even had an inkling of doing it full time. You know, I was just doing it as like side hustle, side project, a fun diversion from my Clark Kent life as a high school educator. I had a 15 year career in public education yeah. and I was making music the whole time. So mm. I'll go ahead. And real quick, we can probably, we can probably share the, the deep, dark secret with everyone that we've been alluding oh, wow. to. I thought we were waiting yeah. for that for the end, but yeah, the deep dark <laughs> secret is that Michael Walker and I uh, grew up uh, two hours apart, two hours away from each other in Eastern South Dakota. Mike is from Vermilion. Is that right? That's right. It was funny because we were backstage and you're, and you asked me, you're like, Hey, like Mike, is it okay if I mentioned that you're from South Dakota? I'm not sure. Are you like embarrassed? Or I'm like, yeah, don't tell anyone that I'm from South Dakota. It would ruin everything. So please don't judge me. I hope this doesn't change our our relationship i think but, it's awesome um, a couple of eastern south dakotans yeah. here on the modern musician oh, podcast this is awesome totally so, it's super yeah. awesome but I, I love the fact that there was a point if i remember right where it was very possible that you could have been like my principal or that the school that i was going to that we might have known each other just from the education side yeah, absolutely. I think I actually applied for a job at Vermilion High School when you would have been a student. So if I would have gotten that job, I would have been like your freshman English teacher, which is just wild to me. But anyway, <laughs> that just didn't pan out. But so anyway, yeah. So I was at this point in my career where I was really, I think it was a couple of things that brought it on uh, when I really wanted to start to market my music because I was just putting it out there whoever hears it, but it was definitely showing proof of concept because it's, it's a niche thing. And there are a lot of people looking for that. The way I like to put it is that the Psalms are the most popular part of the most popular book ever written. There's a lot of people who are big fans of the Psalms. Of course, we probably all know Psalm 23, already are, all heard that. Psalm 91, very famous passages of literature. And mm -hmm. so some people are, and, and a lot of people know that they are actually songs or meant to be songs. So a lot of people out there will just Google Psalms to music and they would come across my stuff and they'd listen to the samples and they would buy it. Even before I even marketed my music, there were people buying the albums online, buying them from iTunes, just totally organic traffic, strangers buying it. So I was already bringing in a few hundred bucks a month, just doing nothing basically. So I knew it had proof of concept and I always had it in the back of my mind, you know what, if I actually marketed this, it might actually be a thing, it might actually go. But I think what actually made me start to market it was a couple things. So when we released, I think it was like our fourth album back in 2019, 
I think there was something in me that was just sick of nobody hearing my music. The idea you talk about that. I didn't want my music, best music to die inside of me or, or no one to hear it. And I was like, how long am I going to keep on putting in all this work for to have a few hundred fans online? You know, that when I released the new album, like there were like 20 fans out there that bought it right away. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. how long am I going to do this? I'm just sick of this. And I also met a friend of mine who's a YouTuber. His name is Matt Whitman. He has a YouTube channel, about 200,000 subscribers. He moved to our town and joined our homeschool co-op. And he was making a living online, just doing YouTube stuff, just making videos. So I was picking his brain, like, how are you doing that? And he was just supported on Patreon. So he just made videos on YouTube and he had a few hundred Patreon supporters and he was making a living. And like making a lot more money than I was just doing internet stuff. I'm like, how do you do that? A lot of people think that, how do you make money just making content on the internet? Like, how does that happen? It showed me how it happens. So that kind of showed me there was a pathway. So that was one initial thing that really showed me that this could work. And Matt was telling me like, oh yeah, like your thing could work. He was like, your music's good. You just need to start doing X, Y, and Z and you'll start seeing movement. Mm -hmm. And then another thing was COVID, of course, that was a big, change for all of us, but it really slowed down my educational career. As a high school principal, I had very little time to pour into my music, very little energy to pour into my music and my marketing outside of my career. But COVID really slowed things down. And I started listening to some music marketing podcasts like the Modern Musician podcast and Chris Greenwood's podcast and Rick Barker's podcast. And I really start, the pathway became clearer. I was starting to see, oh, like you can make music, make money online from your music and here's how, and here's some techniques. And a really big breakthrough was uh, Chris Greenwood uh, taught about the free CD offer. He just put out this ad, free CD, just pay the shipping. And I saw his page when I saw his ad across Facebook, I like screenshotted it. I just basically copied his offer. And one day I had a whole weekend to myself. My family was out of town. This was the weekend that changed everything. It was in September of 2020. And I thought this weekend, I'm going to do two things. I had two things on my list for a long time that I was putting off. It was build a free CD funnel and start an email list. Like those were literally the two things. So I did those Mm. two things that weekend Mm. and built the free CD offer. It took me like 10 hours to set the whole funnel up, but I patterned after Chris Greenwood's page and everything. And then I had a few thousand emails from, do you remember Noise Trade? There was like this website back in the day where mm-hmm. you could trade a, you could, people could like basically download your album for a free will offering or something like that in exchange for their email address. I put my music up on Noise Trade and got like 5,000 emails that way. So I had 5,000 wow. emails just sitting around. <laughs> wow. So I made this funnel, tested it, and I sent an email to 5,000 people to say, hey, free CD, just pay the shipping. And I think I made like a thousand dollars that day, just like that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I think I've figured something out here. <laughs> yeah. Great offer, putting it in uh-huh. front of thousands of interested people at once. Okay, let's look more into this. And then I started running the ad on Facebook and the ad was making more money than I was spending. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, maybe I don't need my job. So by the time I was near the end of my last year as a high school principal, I was making enough money from my ads and from my email list that was growing. And I was learning all the time. I was just like so obsessed with the music marketing stuff. I mean, I was not paying enough attention to my job as much as I should have been because I was like really having fun. And I knew that I was like, okay, I'm close, but like one more year, one more year as a principal and then I'll go full time. Then some stuff went down at my job. Long story short, something happened at my school. Then my boss overreacted to it. I got put on leave on my last 
semester as a high school principal, got reinstated because nothing happened. But basically, it was a really unfortunate incident that really pushed me over the edge, thinking I do not want to come back next year. My boss was not supportive. I was trying to make a lot of positive changes. It was just time. It was like, okay, I'm making enough money to go full time. I don't see a path forward to do what I want to do in my career. So you just know it's time sometimes. You just know my, my career was not going well at the same time my music career was going well and it's time to make the leap. So after about a week of talking about it with my wife, we finally decided to, to make the leap. So here I am, like my first month, like no, no job, no paycheck coming in, like just depending on Facebook ads and emails to feed my family. And I got four kids um, and a wife. My wife stays home and homeschools. So it was a lot on my shoulders and I'm like, we're like barely made enough to cover the budget my first month. So I'm like, but then I was like really hustling hard and I got this email from Chris Greenwood inviting me to a masterclass with Michael Walker. <laughs> so I listened to your masterclass, Michael, and you were describing a lot of what I was already doing, but you were also describing things that I hadn't even thought of yet, hadn't even gotten to yet. So I was really intrigued by what you said, especially the high ticket offers. I was like, oh, that's something I need to add to my arsenal as well. And talking about the subscription offer and all that. So this was like the second time I think I applied to, for Modern Musician. But this time I had the time, I had all the time in the world to implement the program. So I went on the, the strategy call and Ari was like, oh yeah, this is definitely going to work. And then I got on the momentum call with Steven. He's like, oh yeah, this is definitely going to work. So I went for it. And what Modern Musician helped me go from like barely making enough to feed my family to like just took it to an entirely new level. I mean, so many ideas, so many additions to my funnel, so many strategies I hadn't even thought of. And so it was a big leap of faith, not only to quit my job, but also to invest a big amount of money for a program when I was like freshly out of a job, but believing that I would multiply it. But that's absolutely what happened. And it absolutely changed my life. So that's how I got involved with uh, Modern Musician. That was fall of 2021. So that was a long story, a long way of getting to that's how I joined Modern Musician was I need to accelerate this thing. And I think these guys know how to do it. And so I'm going to you know, trust them and, and go all in. I think it's when artists go all in that they really, something clicks. You know what I mean? Something just really lights on fire and you figure it out because you have to. Mm. So good. Man, uh, huge props to you. I, I mean, it's it's so easy to take the easy path or take the path that's been carved for us. Yeah, in fact, Jeff Walker, one of my mentors, shared this so, articulated it so well at our last mastermind meeting. He was telling the story about how on his hill that he drives up in Colorado, there's this winding road, this winding path that goes up the hill. And when he's driving at night, there's the headlights shine just enough light ahead of him that often what happens, there's a bunny that'll hop in front of the car and he'll slow down and the bunny will just run ahead of him. It'll just keep running up the path in the light. And at any point, the bunny could just move to the right or move to the left and get into the forest and kind of get safe or get out. But it just keeps following the light, the part that it can see. And so it stays in front of the car the whole time. And he used that as this analogy to describe how often in, in our lives, we follow the path that we can see, the path that's lit in front of us and yep. going off the path 
in many cases, it creates more freedom or creates more passion or something that makes you more fulfilled, greater impact. But that that light, that the social norms and the path that's going to lift for us can be so much easier to follow. So I just want to give props to you for, for taking that other path and going your own way and seeing that you had something you know, to, to offer. So yeah, maybe you can talk a little bit more about so you, you made this decision, you went all in, and, and now you've in addition to achieving the Gold Artist Award, which is amazing, but also continuing to grow your music career, you've also joined our team and you're helping other artists who are ready to take this plunge or take this next step and go all in. I'm curious, as it relates to that idea of making the decision and going all in and taking the leap, how would you recommend people think about the mindset around doing that? Because I mean, the tendency, I think, is to dip one toe in the water and maybe to go partially in. What's been your experience having personally gone all in yourself in your own music career and kind of seeing and working with other artists who've made that decision? What would you say to someone who is feeling like they're, they've been on the fence for a while or they've been waiting for the right time and wondering about their music and is this really something that they can do? Do they really have what it takes? Yeah, what would your advice be for them? Yeah, a couple of things. That's a great question. So the first thing I would say is I do think it's wise when you quit your job and go all in. And this is something that, that I did right away is to it's a good idea to secure some kind of flexi job, the way I call it, a job where you can work as much as you want to or need to in order to make some extra money on the side. But you can also like easily scale that back. So I was actually talking to a YouTuber, actually it's Destin Sandlin from the um, YouTube channel Smarter Every Day. Not sure if anyone knows who he is, but I had a chance to talk to him because uh, he visited my hometown. He's friends with my friend, Matt. And I was talking to him about quitting my job and that was his advice. Is there some way you can scale back your job gradually to the point where you can, so again, dipping your toe, but like also, is there a way you can scale back to like work as much as you want to? If you want to work zero and you're, if the music is going on, you want to work zero, you can work zero. Yeah. But if you need to work, put in five hours a week, you can put in five hours a week, something Super flexy smart. like that. And he was, I was like, I'm a high school principal. I can't really scale that back. It's you're either doing that job <laughs> or you are not in that job. So that wasn't an option because you do consulting or something like that. I'm like, no, not really. I, I, I'm at this job or I'm not. So what he did is uh, he hired me to um, just do some, some data summary for his podcast. So that was like a job where here's a project that's going to take a few hundred hours, but work on it like at your pace and make some extra money if you need to. So that was really nice to have just so like peace of mind. Okay, if we're having a low month, I can put in a few 10 hour days at this job and, and, and make the extra money I need to. So I think that's a wise thing to have in your back pocket, but make sure it's not a part-time job where you have to work 10 hours a week or have to work 20 hours a week. So that's a really, I think a wise thing. And also it's good to make sure that there's a path. If you see the path, if you can see the proof of concept, if you can see, if I just did more of X, then more income would come in. That's a really good sign that you should just go all in for a period of time. And here's a really important principle that my wife and I talked about a lot before I quit was no pun intended. Oh, sorry. What, what was the pun? <laughs> no pun. You said it's a principle. Oh, a principle. Yes. Nice one. <laughs> oh, gosh. A really good principle. Okay, good. A really good principle to consider when you're considering going all in with your dream is what's the worst that could happen? What is the worst case mm. scenario? My wife and mm. I talked about this a lot. What's the mm. worst case scenario? Yeah. And we thought about it. It's so the worst case scenario is 
I go get a job mm. again. Mm. That's not a bad worst case scenario. You know what I mean? We had some money saved up. We probably had a few months worth of, if we really made no money, which I didn't think was going to happen. We had a few months to we had a few months cushion in place. So it really, I mean, at the time, yes, it felt crazy. Uh, it, I mean, I was freaking out a couple of months before I did it. Oh my gosh, am I really going to do this? Cause you're right. There's that inertia or there's that social pressure or there's that, you can't make a living without a job. Those voices were definitely there. And I think my wife and I's uh, parents, they really instilled in us what a lot of that generation did was, this is how you do it. You graduate high school, you get a job, you work really hard at it for 50 years, and then maybe you have some money you can enjoy. That's how you make it. That's how you live. So the idea of the online entrepreneur thing, like they just didn't get it at all. And again, not any fault of theirs. It's just there wasn't a lot of like encouragement or support there. In fact, this is a funny story. So when Emily texted her mom and sisters, when I quit my job, she's like, Shane did it. He quit his job. Emily's mom's response via text was best wishes. She was like, good luck with that. So, and, and it's, and again, it's not like a, I mean, it's not like a lack of belief. It's more like a, that's an interesting path. That's how people feel is like, mm. it's just not the way to success. And once you step into that world, once you step into the world of like entrepreneurship and um, you know, being your own boss and all that, it's, it's, this is like a really cliche comparison, but it's really stepping into the matrix. Like you can't unsee it. Once you see it, mm. you step into it and you're like, Whoa, it's like a whole new world. All these opportunities opened up for me that I was just closing myself off of really just out of fear. And again, fear of what fear that I'd fail and have to get a new job. That's not mm. really bad. It's not like the risk is death or torture or, you know, anything like that. It's just, <laughs> I would try something and maybe it wouldn't go and I'd have to get another job and, you know, kind of reboot. That's the worst that can happen. What's the worst that can happen? I think it was Malcolm Forbes who said, you die when you stop dreaming. And so for anybody out there who's, who stopped dreaming, or you feel like you're stuck where you're at, there's a reason why you feel that the best way I would describe it is you feel a little bit dead inside. You feel a little bit like, you can't really let yourself out to do the things you feel like you were born to do. And so I think it had been brewing for a long time too, because all those years as a high school teacher and principal, I always had a goal. I always wanted to do music full time. I mean, I've been wanting to do that since I was 19, you know, that was always there. So it always was in the back of my mind. And then when I started to see the, the stars align or everything fall into place, it was like, it just knew. So yeah, that, that was a rambling answer, but my best advice would be get a flexi job where you can work as much as you want to or need to. And also my question would be, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. The worst that can happen is you try it for a few months, have a ton of fun and they'll get another job or, <laughs> and, or learn from the experience and reboot. But you know what? I think the chances are, again, if you're seeing proof of concept, but you can get fans, but you can get buyers so that your music has proof of concept and that it would grow if you just invested in it. You just invested in yourself. Well, that would happen. I think the worst that I don't even know what the worst, I mean, I think you'd figure it out. You'd figure mm -hmm. it out. You really would. And even if you didn't, you would at least die knowing that you, you took your shot. And I thought about that when I moved to Nashville, I was like, you know what, even if this didn't work out and it didn't, my Nashville thing did not work out. It wasn't as good of a marketing strategy as what I'm using now. Let's just put it that way. The Nashville strategy was go to Nashville, play a lot and hope. That's the strategy, not a good marketing strategy, right? So that didn't work out. But I remember going there thinking, like, you know what? At least I'll be able to tell my kids and grandkids, like, I took my shot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I took my shot. But then, of course, the opportunity 
came to me again 10 years later or 20 years later, was it? Yeah, 20 years later to take my shot again. And you know what? Like I'm taking my shot. And yeah, I mean, best decision of my life besides marrying my wife, of course. So I put my best decisions like this. Number one, marrying my wife. She's amazing. Number two, quitting my job. And number three, joining Modern Musician. Those are my top three decisions of all time. All of them, scary. Getting married is scary in some ways. I remember how my wife and I felt the day after we got married. It's like uh, we were happy, obviously, we were ecstatic, but also it's like this feeling of what do we just do? We just did something really permanent. Like <laughs> the only way out of this is a divorce. Like you feel that little bit of, oh my gosh, what do we just do? <laughs> Same thing after I quit my job. I remember the night after I quit my job, I remember like closing my eyes and hitting send on my resignation email. And just, I mean, I was ready for that moment, but you're never ready for that moment. You just mm. you, you close your eyes, you hit it and you're like, here we go. But then that night I woke up like 3 a.m. and just panic hit me. Like, where is the money going to come from? What did you just do? Can I ask for my job back? All those fears came in. And I remember going out to the living room uh, at like 3 a.m. House is quiet. And just laying there on my face, praying, just saying, God, should I take my job back? Did I just make the biggest mistake in my life? And in that moment, just for some reason, just had a sense of peace. It's just, no, you got this. You got this. Don't worry about it. And I went back to sleep and that was the worst of it. So the the next few days after, there was definitely a lot of, oh my gosh, we're doing this. You know what I mean? There was a little bit of that, I mean, I guess, nervous excitement, dread, fear, whatever you want to call it. But once we started to see that this pathway was bearing a lot more fruit, then there was no looking back. And it's a lot of adjustment being your own boss and having your whole day. And because it used to be like, you go to work and you're going to get a paycheck. It's just like, if I go to work for this amount, this paycheck's going to come in. And that's very like safe, predictable life. And I was very used to that. It took a long time to get used to, there's no paycheck coming. You know, you just invest time and you hope that your investments yield fruit. And that was like, my work day was not like, oh, put in my hours and get my paycheck. It was like, Okay, my workday is how do I best invest my time with no paycheck guaranteed to come? That was a huge adjustment to make. But two years into it, it feels normal now, but it did not feel normal for months and years. That's, yeah, that's the advice I'd give someone thinking about quitting. And that's what it's like. It's quite a leap. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was very scary. It's easy to sit here and say, oh yeah, I, I, I did it. But you know, it was scary. And I definitely had moments where I was pretty freaked out. So so good. Yeah. Th- thank you for sharing. And there's, there's so much wisdom and a couple of things that you just mentioned that I want to reiterate. One of them was around asking yourself, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? And there's something about fear. I've, I've heard it described in this way that fear is the one thing that gets smaller the, the closer you run to, towards it. Like mm-hmm. when you run closer to fear, like it actually gets smaller. And that's it's like one true. of the only things that happens. And fear thrives in the darkness. Like it, it wants to avoid being seen. And so it it's scary to look at the fear directly. But man, like there's some real power that comes from like standing and in, in, in shining the light on that. And so you asking the question, hey, what's the worst that could happen here? Is literally just like directly addressing the fear and looking at it and it turns out that you generally like the worst that can happen you can handle it like you're gonna be okay and i, I remember having that exact same question that's that same thing it, which goes in line with the the other idea that you brought up around having an ability to have a flexi job or a way to yeah i look at it as like, almost like a safety net that you know so that the worst that can happen is literally like you fall down and you hit the safety net if you're gonna walk on a tightrope 
then <laughs> it's like probably a pretty good idea to have, I don't know, a safety net underneath you. If you do fall, you know, that's, it's still going to be scary walking on the safety net or walking on that line, but at least you're, you have that, you know, and you know, that worst case scenario is that you're going to fall and you're going to hit that. I know for us, that was having a year to defer our scholarships at college and having that year gave us the freedom the permission to go all in and exactly what you described like really jump into the deep end of the pool learn how to swim knowing yep. that you have that so i just think that's there's, there's so much wisdom in that and hopefully that you know, resonates with everyone that's here right now and really understand the power of asking that question and then setting things up so that worst the worst thing that can happen is something that that you can deal with mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. yeah so looking back at where you are now, what do you, what, what's something that you'd say is like one of the things that you're most proud of? Wow. Um, I say number one, uh, I've been married, happily married to my wife for almost 20 years. Our 20 anniversary is coming up. So I'm very proud of that. Um, and my four kids. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell, I hope you can tell I like my wife a lot. I hope you can tell. Also my kids, their ages 16 through 10, all four of them. And they seem to be turning out pretty well. So I'm very proud of that. It's funny, like you grow up and you always think people say like, my greatest accomplishment is raising my three kids or whatever. And I always think what kind of accomplishment is that? But uh, now I understand, you know what I mean? Being a dad and having gone through all those seasons, yeah, it's a big accomplishment. There's a lot of work involved in that. I think what I'm proud of is that my music's making a difference in people's lives. I've got, I mean, literally I've got, I try to keep every testimonial I can, but I've literally got hundreds of testimonials and emails and Facebook posts and all that, screenshots from people talking about how listening to my music delivered them from anxiety, delivered them from depression, like rekindled their relationship with God, put, put joy back into their lives. Just got one recently, this lady played one of my songs at her daughter's funeral. Her daughter was 20 years old and died suddenly and played my song at her funeral. I'm proud of the fact that I've, I followed the path that I felt like I was supposed to and I kept going, even when, even when I was back just making music on the side. There are moments where, what am I doing? This is crazy. I'm spending like three weeks away from my family. I'm sleeping on couches. I'm a high school teacher making out, putting psalms to modern alt-pop music. What am I doing? You know what I mean? There's all kinds of moments like that. But I kept the path. I kept moving forward no matter what. I'm proud of that as well. And yeah, like I said, I'm proud of the impact my music's had, that people care about it enough to support me monthly to donate, to make sure I make another album. All I have to do is reach out to my fans and say, hey, I'm making more music and people will just boom, go make the music, Shane. We believe in this. That's what I'm probably most proud of as far as my music career. Hmm. So awesome. And just to put things in perspective, you as a principal versus you now, are you, were you making more income like as a principal versus like your music or what, what does that look like uh, in terms of your actual lifestyle? Yeah. So not to not give specific numbers, my principal job, it was a six figure job salary wise, but I am making more money now. <laughs> so there you go. So it's definitely paid off in all kinds of ways. Obviously the, the freedom, like I can now set my day up pretty much exactly like I want to think about everyone who's listening. Think about what would I do if I didn't have a job? How would I set my day up? How would I invest my time? How would I invest in myself and those around me? What kind of life would I live if there were no limitations? What kind of life would I live if there were 
no, nothing holding me back, no boundaries. I'm doing exactly that because I don't have a job. You know what I mean? So that's, I mean, that's a huge, that's wealth right there. Um, being able to have that kind of time to live the way that you believe. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely a financially smart decision for me to quit my six figure job, if that makes any sense. Because obviously when you're working a salary job, like there is a cap on your income. But when you're an entrepreneur, your income is only limited by your own hustle and ingenuity. It really is. So now there being no cap on my income, it just feels much more free to be able to, okay, if we need some extra money, I just go, go earn it, you know, or I just send a few more emails or whatever. So it just gives that freedom to live the way that you believe. Mm. Good. And what would you say, so you brought up what you're most proud of is, is your family and your wife and your kids. What kind of impact has it made on your family and your life and your relationship with them to be at the point that you are now versus when you were a principal? Oh, wow. No, that's an awesome question. I think it was really big for my kids to see what I did. And obviously you knew this was going to happen. If I start talking about my kids, I'm going to start choking up. But, you know, at first, I think they were scared. They didn't really fully understand, you know, being kids, they don't fully understand what's happening when your dad's quitting his job to do his music. They don't really know what the prospects are of success or, you know, what that really means. I remember my, one of my sons being a little bit upset about it because he thought we're going to be poor now and we're going to be like, <laughs> we're going to be like scraping by, but he was not happy about that. But, you know, for them to see us in a better place than we were three years ago after doing it, I think is big for them to show them that you don't have to live life the way that, again, social pressure teaches you to just, you know, go get a job, go get a job. What about being the person who hires the people who, you know, what about the person who creates the jobs? Like people are never taught that in school. The school system's a whole other topic. I was trying to transform the school system when I was in it. And that was one thing that always bothered me is all the focuses was on go get a job, go get a job, go get a job, which is such a limiting mindset to instill in young people. And I saw it really damage young people quite a bit because they never thought outside the possibility of just getting a job and never thought about the possibility of creating their own thing, you know, that just never enters a lot of their minds. And I was raised the same way. It was like, which job are you going to take? You know, I remember sitting with the high school counselor, like, okay, here's all these jobs. Which one do you want? I remember always thinking like, I don't like any of these, like none of these fit me. I was just weird. I was the guy who sat in class, just writing music theory and chord sheets and like inventing new chords in the back of class. Like nothing, none of that interested me. I just wanted to make music and do my own thing. That was always how I was. But as far as how it's impacted my family, I think it's big for my kids to see that like their dad made this leap and it worked out. And also it's allowed my family and my wife to do this thing together because being a high school principal, it's really hard for them to help me with my work. But now with this, like we pack starter packs together, we pack orders together and my wife does the live streams with me. And it's just, I think it's really improved our marriage because she sees that I'm happier, which obviously really helps a relationship. My kids see that I'm happier and obviously I have more time for them too. I mean, the impact is immense. It's almost like this kind of cloud lifted in a sense. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, I, that definitely resonates with me because I, I know what it's been like for becoming a dad and, and raising my own kids and how much it you know means to me to want to be a good role model for them and to make them proud. And so seeing you do that for your family and your kids is really cool. Yeah, it's really cool to talk to my son and what can I do to make money? I'm like, like, I can see the limitless possibilities now. I can see what life is like as being your own boss, your own entrepreneur, creating your own thing, just developing high level skills that people will pay you well for. 
Like I, I can mentor them in that direction instead of the which job are you going to take direction. And if they take yeah. a job, that's great. There's nothing wrong with holding a nine to five. Like that is the right decision for a lot of people. Some people love working for the man and that's great. So I'm not trying to denigrate that at all. I just don't want people to feel like that's their only option. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe you talk a little bit about just the power of uh, mentorship and investment. I mean, recently you just you just invested in mentorship from a very amazing entrepreneur. Yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit about that investment that you made and just the role of investments in general in your journey. Yeah, it's been huge. I'd say the number one. I'd say besides my just my persistence and my like basically refusal to not succeed. I think that is just a side note. From my study of life, <laughs> I guess I'm a student of life. From my study of life, I think, and you've talked about this too, Michael, I think the number one X factor in whether people truly succeed at creating the life they believe in is intensity. Intensity is the most common thread I see throughout all successful people throughout history. They basically just decided what they were going to do and just refused to fail. Hmm. And it really almost is that simple. I think of the advice, I think it was Scott Adams. I don't know who it was, the original quote was from, but I saw this tweet from Scott Adams. He said, the best advice I ever received was, I hope I don't butcher it, but it was something to the effect of find out the price of success, then pay it. Hmm. I love that. That is so simple. Find out what the price of success is. Okay. Like count the cost. What's it going to cost me to get where I want to go and pay it. And for me, like investing in mentorship has been probably the, the most important um, bridge to that because I had this intensity, I'm going to achieve this. I'm not going to, I refuse to fail, but I could not have gotten there without investing in myself and investing in coaching and mentorship because there are these people across the bridge, like they know how to cross the bridge. They know how to get there. And in order to access them, I had to invest in their, and in, in invest in, in paying for their time because otherwise I'd have to learn everything on my own. And that takes a lot longer. Like I thought I've said this before, joining the modern musician program, it was like fast forwarding my life five years. It was like, it would take me five years to learn everything I learned in that program. And it just like fast forwarded me there in three months, which is, you can't replace that. I mean, it's amazing. So I'd say over the course of my music marketing career in the last three years, I can't remember the exact number. I bet I have invested somewhere in the neighborhood of between 30 and $50,000 just in coaching and mentorship. And that's been the best money I've ever spent because again, it has basically allowed me to create the music I want to create. And again, live the way I believe in and spend my time the way I believe in, because it showed me the entrepreneurial wisdom that's allowed me to pull this off. So I'd say that's a small price to pay for being where you want to be. Mm. Like if I asked someone right now, would you pay 30 to $50,000? And again, I'm just, that's just a number, but let's say it cost you, you to drop 50 grand today in order to be able to figure out how to live the life you feel like you're called to. I bet most people would do that. Hmm. Yeah. But absolutely. a lot wouldn't if they knew it would, if they knew it would work, of course, but yeah, that's always, it's, it always comes down to that leap of faith and mm -hmm. that willingness to take the, the leap, which yeah, that's the scary part. And a lot of people don't, it's true. A lot of people don't, a lot of people get to that precipice and it's this, you're going to make this big investment in yourself to try to, again, make that leap, make that jump, make that move. And yeah, a lot of people don't do it. It's true. Yeah. And what you, we talked about earlier with the, if you're going to walk on the tightrope, 
then there's a way to do it. Like you get the safety net down. You think about what's the worst that's going to happen. You get the safety net, mm-hmm. and, but then, gosh, you got to take those steps. You got to walk out, and it's scary. And you have mm-hmm. to acknowledge that's scary, but do it anyways. But it's so much fun. It really is. Yeah, it's scary, but gosh, like it's a lot more fun than just like staying in safety and feeling like you're and feeling dead inside half the time. It's way more fun than that. So mm. just to Absolutely. encourage everyone. Yeah. Yep. And you know, what I appreciate about you too is, it, yeah, I see this and everyone that I know that has achieved success in different domains has this mindset of uh, entrepreneurship and a willingness to learn and grow and like you mentioned that intensity, but also they're, they invest in themselves continually and they don't, they never, they don't stop. Like it's a part, they're a lifelong learner and it'd be very easy for you just to say, you know what, like I figured out something that works. I'm just going to keep doing this and I'm, I'm just, I'm happy here. You know, you continue to make that investment in yourself and your education. And so do I, we mm-hmm. invested in a $35,000 program recently. And, and that's what it takes is that level of lifelong, being a lifelong learner, continuing to invest. And mm-hmm. it's something you hear a lot from everyone. That's, that's, it's really about you investing in yourself, I would say, and making that commitment mm-hmm. and, and having the boldness to believe that you can do it. Mm-hmm. But I personally find that super inspiring and I appreciate you coming on here and sharing that. So Shane, to, to wrap things up here, if you had to go back in time and let's say that we're going back to the moment, the moment that you're sitting at that precipice of you pressing the button to quit your job and you're just getting ready to go, like you're on the fence of like deciding if you're going to go all in on your music. If you could give yourself one piece of advice back then before you had experienced the results, before you learned what you know now, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself, what are you waiting for? Seriously, what are you waiting for? What sign are you waiting for? What are you waiting to see happen? This is going to work. You've got what it takes. The worst that could happen is that you just get a different job or reboot. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting to retire? Are you waiting to die? What are you waiting for? If this is what you're supposed to do, what are you waiting for? Mm. So that's probably what I told myself. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Goosebumps. <clears throat> awesome. Hey, how about, we've got a squad here. I haven't really oh, yeah. looked, I've just awesome. been so engaged in this conversation. Yeah. Like this has been yeah, fantastic. Too. Can we get like a round of applause for Shane right now? I mean, I feel like, dang, dude. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Hey, Lavender, how are you doing? I was just see some folks from the Artist Launch Challenge. Sweet. Um, ah, that's sweet. Lavender said, you guys seem like the coolest dads, LOL. Cool. Cool is not a word that I think <laughs> would just, my uh, wife would describe me. I'm pretty dorky around them. But yeah, I would say that for both of us, I think that's one of the things that I resonate with so much about your story, Shane, is just I know how important your family is to you and your relationship with your kids and your wife. And yeah, I know when you won your Gold Artist Award, when you submitted the video for the Artist of the Year Award, um, that was one that just like, I remember sharing that with my parents and being like, yeah, like that's, that is awesome that we get to be a part of that and helping people to do that. Um, I knew you were going to bring that up, <laughs> that video. <laughs> so <laughs> video is infamous by now, but yeah, I broke down the video talking about my kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was real. It was real and it was raw. And I felt that it was, it's powerful. How about we bring on some folks who are here live to be able to ask some questions. If you guys have any questions for Shane that you'd like to yeah, ask awesome. directly, then you can raise your hand here in the Discord community, or you can put them in the chat. I'm happy to answer from there. 
But I see some hands up. I see Steve Cuban. Let's bring him on. Steve. <laughs> What's going on, man? Hey, Steve. Hey, Shane. Hi, Michael. Shane, hey, Steve. Good right? to talk to you. Yeah, I yes. can hear him. Awesome. You can hear us? Great. Sorry, I don't have a camera hooked up, but I'm watching you and really always so encouraged by your story, Shane. What a blessing you are, man. You and Michael. If we had guys like you mentoring us, we will go very far. Wow. Wow. Thanks so much, man. That means a lot. The, the question that I have would be, because I and many people here... We love to use music to bring people into a worship experience, and we like to play and sing scripture songs. So I wanted to get your feedback on that, and in a way that would apply to everybody here, about taking words that have been written in the Bible and putting them to music, and how much liberty that you take do you have to go word for word what the Bible says, or do you take your liberty and adjust the translation or adjust the, the interpretation of what you're saying to how maybe it fit back in that day and how it would fit today? Because some people are very strict. They say, oh, it has to be exactly what the Bible says. And other people say, no, you can take your poetic license. What's your thoughts about that as a psalmist, brother? Yeah, thanks for the question, man. Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act. So whenever people ask, do you put the Psalms to music word for word? I always ask them word for word with what? With the original Hebrew? Right. Because if you're going to do word for word, it would be, you'd have to sing it in Hebrew. Because what the English translations try to do is they try to communicate the words and the ideas in that text the best they can in a different language. And anybody who's done translation work knows it's a very hard work. And there are definitely thoughts and ideas in ancient languages that are very difficult to convey accurately in modern English. And sometimes they just can't. So they just will put literally what the text says and we'll go like, that doesn't make any sense. So what I try to do is I try to use the best, most literal modern English translations that I can when I can. And of course, when you're making melodies, sometimes you got to like wish a word here, or you got to use a synonym here or there to make the melody work and stay consistent. But I try to use just the most popular, basic modern English translations, the most reliable. And then just do a little bit of a little bit of idea by idea, paraphrase, synonyms to make it work. But the goal is always to communicate what the original text is trying to communicate. And again, that's basically doing translation work. And I'm leaning on scholars to do that. It's like a balancing act between going quote unquote word for word with the English translation and just trying to convey ideas with the words and music that reflect what's being said. So it's a balancing act, but that's how I approach it. Great. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. And I really appreciate that you delve into the Hebrew to see what the original words mean, because it does make a difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, absolutely does. if I can share for 30 seconds, I was one time reading Isaiah 54. And as I read it, all of a sudden, I felt this Caribbean beat come and it just fell into place. Single, barren woman. And mm -hmm. I felt a reggaeton beat where the clave goes twice. Da, yeah. da, da, I have similar da, experiences. Da, da. Yeah. I'm reading something and I'm like, it, it was, I, hear, I, hear, I hear something. And, that, yep. and that's so cool, the inspiration. And here's what was amazing. As I read the Hebrew, and I'm thinking about this reggaeton beat, and I'm hearing it. And then I look and there's a section in the Hebrew, verse 7, that says that God, for just a small moment, 
is mad. <clears throat> Just a small moment. And the Hebrew word is rega katon. So here I'm hearing a reggaeton beat, and the Hebrew word is reggaeton. Now, how cool is that? I mean, God inspires us even as musicians, eh? <laughs> yes, that is really cool. Yeah, and I, I, I'm really interested also in just like the science of music, because I know some people, when they, when they compose music, they really feel like they see color, or they can tell what color the music is. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I have the same experience when I'm reading the text. Sometimes I'll just hear what this should sound like. It's very odd. Some people are like, where does the music come from? I don't know. I just <laughs> I hear it and I start writing it and playing it. So, but anyway, no. Thanks for those thoughts, brother. Appreciate that. Awesome. Very thanks, good. Okay. Thanks, Michael. All right. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, the the creative process is such a beautiful thing, and there's a lot of truth to the idea that there's different frequencies almost like sound frequencies I, i've seen videos on youtube where they have a pile of sand on a table and they just raise the hertz like the frequency and at different frequencies it like rearranges itself into geometric shapes and it's so interesting and yeah, as it relates to like you're talking about lights and, and sounds and i think what is it called like synthesia i know is a thing where you can yeah i haven't heard that taste colors or i don't know and <laughs> our senses are amazing things and we you have know, evolved to try to make sense or try to we can perceive some things but sometimes i wonder if the way that we evolved like eyes like in the early stages of having eyes and we were trying to we could just we could sense something is happening but we don't fully grasp it or fully understand it because our eyes aren't fully developed I wonder if we have certain senses that are like that with maybe how we perceive time, where it's like we have very primitive like sense organs around it. Maybe someday we'll we'll fully be able to better understand. Um, yeah, maybe like how like blind people talk about how like their other senses are really heightened to make up for their lack of sight. That's always really interested me. And then of course like Beethoven was deaf. I don't I still don't know how that worked. You know what I mean? Like you just feel vibrations through the piano. But yeah, the world is not just stuff for sure. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, I could get into that for a long time. Just the frequencies. Like I do believe that like music has spiritual power that is within it. I don't exactly know how that works theologically. But what I do know is I, I can play music for a certain person when some of it, the music that I've made, and you can just tell this has a real, um, tangible spiritual impact on the person. Mm -hmm. I just find that fascinating. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. So how about we uh, check out our chat and see if anyone else has any questions or if anyone wants to come in here live. Matt said, Shane, do you tune for 432 hertz? <laughs> Man, I get that question all the time. You wouldn't believe how many people do you make your music to God's frequency or, or the devil's? Because I don't know if anyone knows about the 432. Do you know about the 432 and 440 uh, hertz I, controversy? I've, I've, I've heard touches of it. Yeah, like it's a certain frequency you can retune your instruments towards. It, yeah. Is the normal one the devil frequency? Is, is that... Okay, I don't want to get too deep into it. Okay, it's a conspiracy theory. But the story goes that 440 hertz, which is the most common frequency at which music is recorded, was the frequency used by like Hitler's doctor or something something to torture people and that's what it comes oh, from or that's the tradition wow. but 432 is supposed to be like like in harmony with something i don't know so that's the idea is that 440 was like some corruption and 432 is like the real healing frequency or something like that i've researched it personally i don't believe there's anything to that and that's a long conversation but i could share some resources with those of you who are into it but i have not i have not found that to be a, a credible theory I, I don't think there's anything to the, the 432 frequency things. That's just my two cents. 
we should come up with a new frequency, the modern musician frequency. And if we retuned to 500 or I don't know, we, we come up with the modern musician frequency. And that's how we know if someone is part of the squad. So you have to make music in the only frequency. in the frequency yeah. of 555. <laughs> Definitely not 666. We'll avoid that one. Like that's yeah. not the, yeah. Yep. So All no, right. I, well, I don't, I don't do 432, Matt, to answer your question. So. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's keep on going to questions. <laughs> a said 420 is a high frequency and it heals. <laughs> Marijuana. Coming to a I'll take his word you. for it. I'll take his word for it. <laughs> All right, let's see. I think we have a hand up in the audience. We might have time for one more question here. I see Rakuda. Rakuda, Rakuda asked a question. What do you do to follow up after the great response to your free CD offer? Yeah, that's a good question. Like in terms of the free CD offer, that and like a follow up to that and different strategies, what are some tips or tricks in terms of the tactical side of things that, that you find that are working? Yeah, it's a great question. For me, I found that the, the sales funnel was obviously absolute game changing strategy for me to be able to um, generate enough revenue. Uh, with my music. The reason that the free CD offer was um, profitable, and I, I shouldn't just assume that everybody here knows how a free CD offer works, because I remember that first podcast I heard where they said, we're going to teach you today how to make money by giving away your CD for free. I was like, how does that work? That doesn't sound like a good strategy to me. But the idea is you offer a free CD, just pay the shipping cost. But what makes that offer profitable is the upsell, or sometimes it's called a bump offer, where when someone's checking out to buy the CD, which is it's like four or five bucks for a CD, it's a great deal for the shipping and handling, I should say. And then, but anyway, they're only, they're paying four or five bucks and they're getting the CD shipped to them. My upsell at the beginning was to upsell to my whole collection. So I had four CDs at the time. So I'm like, hey, do you want to get our whole collection? I think at first I offered it for 20 bucks. So for an extra 20 bucks, you can have three other CDs, which is an insanely good deal. The upsell was what made that profitable. Without the upsell, it would not have been a profitable thing or a good idea, especially with all the ad spend that you're spending. So when you have about 50 or 60% of people taking that upsell offer, now you're starting to get into profitability. And after joining Modern Musician, they taught me all kinds of other upsells I could do. So now when people come to my free CD offer, they can upsell to the entire CD collection. And then after that, they can upsell to join our inner circle where they support us monthly in exchange for certain benefits. And I have a funnel step where people can join in one click. And also, some t so if they don't want to join inner circle, then there's a downsell offer like, hey, do you just want a t-shirt? So the funnel is a way to negotiate with the customer. Okay, what exactly are you interested in and what exactly do you want to spend? Because some people will go into the funnel and they will just buy everything. So they came there for a free CD offer and they're like, oh, I like that offer. Oh, I like that too. Oh, I like that too. And now they're spending over $100 in that funnel. This is the way I always put it. When I send an email to my list with an offer, I found out pretty quick that if I send an email to just what I call a dead end offer, that's it's on your website, buy this CD and people will go buy the CD. But if there's no upsell behind it, or if it's just they buy the CD and that's it, I'd make a little bit of money from that email. But if I send them to a funnel, an offer with a funnel and upsells behind it, it's five to 10 times as much revenue sending them to a funnel instead of a dead end offer. So yeah, I, the sales funnel is definitely what I offer after. And just think to yourself, okay, I've got this offer. What would be like a logical next step? What would be a way to enhance this experience or take this experience to the next level? Then you know, that would be a good follow-up offer for people. 
And then think about it again. Again, you can keep on putting offers in front of people as long as they will keep taking them. They can say no whenever they want, but why not just say, hey, do you want this too? And some people will say yes, because they're like, they're impacted by the music. They're really excited and they want to support you. So why not give them the opportunity? So, and then I also follow up on my email list. So if someone just takes a CD and passes on, you know, the upsell offer, that's not the last time they're going to hear about it. Because on, on my email list, they're going to get multiple more opportunities to, to take those offers later. So my email list also works as like a follow-up funnel to keep on putting offers in front of people as I'm serving them, as I'm giving them good content to read, as I'm nurturing them, as I'm pouring into them, I'll drop offers here and there and people will be like, okay, yeah, I'll take that. So that's what I do as a follow-up to the, the free CD offer. Mm, super smart. Yeah, and we could probably be here for another hour to 10 hours just talking about like the email follow-up stuff and your genius around email sequences and the importance of email. Yeah, yeah, we hardly I talked mean, about that. Yeah, that's it's so surprising. But I mean, but you did, I mean, you talked about how important email was to your own journey and how you got started you know, with that single email. And you had this email mm -hmm. list of 5,000 people, which is amazing. Single email over $1,000. That's pretty dang awesome. And definitely the follow-up. And you mentioned how the follow-up process and the upsells are really the thing that made that the whole thing work. The good news is for all of you who are here right now, it's good to be you because we actually just launched a brand new, what we call the fan journey template. And it's in your street team account right now. If you've been following along with the artist launch challenge, then you've over the past week, we've been setting this up together. But this fan journey template basically creates your own free shipping offer that you can send fans to, and we automatically fulfill it for you. So you don't even have to worry about sending things out yourself. Um, and it includes the upsells for you. So what that looks like is we have these digital cards, these digital exclusive cards that you preload your content onto, exclusive content that people can get. And we ship this out for you. It's like a CD, but we ship out the card. And people have the ability to upgrade from a bronze you know, pack that includes some exclusive content to like your VIP or to your gold. So you have that built-in upgrade. And we also put in the inner circle upgrade in that fan journey template as well. So really in that like single template that you guys have access to in your street team accounts, you have the ability to you know, get started and get launched and start following in a similar footsteps to, to what Shane has been talking about all throughout this podcast. Do it, sign up, start doing it. Definitely. Yeah. If only it was just like available in your account and it was free, that would be really cool, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If only it was easy to set up and just like kind of all the templates were done for you. That'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> if there was like a step-by-step -step process that literally just helped you do all of this and hold your hand through it. Gosh, that'd be cool. Yeah. We got to uh, develop okay. this idea. Let's talk more about this. Mike. That's not even what I meant to click, but I'm, it worked out. All right. Hey, Rakuda, I, I see that you did manage to get up here. We are probably going to wrap up the podcast now, just since we're a bit over time now. But we had a chance to answer your question. It was a fantastic question. So thank you for asking that. And because we're here live right now, I don't know what your what your schedule looks like right now, Shane. But for me personally, I am going to, after we're done with the podcast, I'm going to hop off and go into the breakout rooms here in the Discord community. And this is a chance for us to network a little bit more and connect with other artists who are here live. And maybe if you have any additional questions that you'd like to ask to Shane or I, then we can hang out for a little bit. So we're, we're going to hop over to the breakout rooms now, but hey, let's give a round of applause one more time for Shane. Um, 
This is awesome. I mean, like we've talked about this before. Like I know your journey, but but hearing it in more detail again has been super inspiring. And I'm just yeah proud to be a part of your journey. Proud to, for you to be a part of the team. And it's so cool that we get to do what we do and be able to have conversations like this and be able to inspire and guide other artists on on their path. So thank you for being a part of it and for taking that leap of faith yourself and and the ripple effects that that you're helping with other artists that you're guiding through modern musician as well. It's really awesome. Thanks, man. Really appreciate that. And on behalf of all the artists listening, I want to thank you, Michael, for what you do, because obviously you coming along at that time in my life really did change my life and I think really did change the trajectory of my future. So you're doing something super, super valuable, and I don't want you to ever forget that. Thanks, man. That means a lot. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.